Welcome to the Digital Adoption Show Season 2, the podcast that walks and talks about the world of L&D. In today's discussion, we will talk about an L&D innovator's journey who believed in the power of learning. I'm your host, Shagun Vaish, CSM at Podfix. Today, I have with me Nick Shalton, uh, who is running his own consultancy firm and believes in the passion of learning. So, Nick, can I quick, uh, quickly have your uh, introduction for our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as you said, I'm Nick Shackleton. Jones. I am CEO and founder at Shackleton Consulting. Um, prior to that, I was, if I go sort of backwards in time, um, the chief learning officer at Deloitte in the UK for a couple of years. And then I set up and ran the learning innovation service line at BA Consulting in the UK for four years, very client-facing work. Before that, I was at BP doing a big job. And before that at the BBC, and then I worked at Siemens and I worked in a startup and I started my career as a psychology lecturer. That was my first proper job. Also author of a book called How People Learn. So that's me. Wow. That's a very long journey and a very inspiring one. Nick, uh, we understand that you have a passion for learning things and that has helped you become an independent consultant from being a learning innovator at so many different uh, big, glo- big companies. So uh, share a little bit Uh, more about uh, about that with us. The way you describe it, and the way language forces us to frame things, is a passion for learning. I think learning has a passion for me, if you like. Um, it, it is, it, it's true that a person can pursue their passions, but they can also be pursued by them. And so I think I've uh, felt driven to um, to answer the call of learning to write books about learning, to, you know, try and fix learning and to help us move away from education for many years. But actually that passion for learning probably stemmed in its early days from just a passion for understanding the world. I was a curious youth. Um, I studied philosophy and psychology. And the reason behind that was I couldn't see the point in doing anything if I didn't understand what it was all ultimately about you know, what the meaning of life was, if you like. So that's where I started. So I started by trying to understand everything. And once I'd understood everything, I wanted to understand people. And once I wanted to understand people, I found my way into understanding learning. So it's uh, it's more the world, the way the world has sort of influenced me than the way I've influenced the world. That's such a beautiful worldview. I mean, I don't think we normally, uh, you know, think about that, you know, something is coming to us. We are normally just chasing things, right? So it's just mm-hmm. beautiful how you put it. And um, Thank you. obviously, uh, learning more about human, the psychology of it, we tend to obviously ignore this in the long term, but it it catches up with us that, you know, there, there's nothing more important than understanding humans. Because, I mean, we spend so much of our time with people, but I, I guess one of the worst things that happens to people is that they don't really understand what their life is about until it's too late so i see i've lived my life sort of backwards i suppose in a way um but many people i see sort of uh, they, they get into it's a little bit like one of those amusement park rides where you get into a slide and you just keep sliding and sliding and sliding until you get to the bottom and that slide is education and so you're sort of pushed into the funnel of education very early on and by the time you kind of pop out the other side you get the next job and you you're probably well into kind of midlife before you actually stop and reflect on whether or not you're doing what you want to do, what your passions are, or whether or not you've just spent your entire career being doing things that other people wanted you to do and doing what you're told and you're meeting your deadlines and so on. I think that's that's sort of tragic, I think. You're making me think my decisions right now. <laughs> you have been an innovator throughout your career, right, Nick? And I think that's where all this wise, uh, uh, all this wisdom is coming from. 
So what has trans, uh, you know, uh, motivated you to transform the world? Like, obviously, we can see that you have a very different worldview. Uh, normally, how we are chasing things, you think sh- uh, you think that things come to you. So, you know, elaborate a little bit more about that for our audience. Okay, very good. I guess there's probably a couple of motivations. Uh, I think one is probably genetic. As um, uh, many people will be familiar with Marie Curie, um, who discovered radium, uh, I think the only person to have won two Nobel Nobel Prizes, Um, she occasionally said that we should worry more about ideas than we should about people. And I think probably genetically, I'm disposed, I'm not terribly empathetic, and and I'm I'm quite introverted, and I worry more about kind of ideas. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by ideas. And I think that has helped me to innovate, because I've obsessed over thoughts, rather than just worrying about you know uh, my following for example kind of social media and those sorts have kind of driven me on so I think that that genetic side I guess that the other motivation um, has come from kind of philosophy and psychology and my kind of training in, in psychology and philosophy which sort of led me to kind of question a lot of what I was seeing so I've been an annoyance for a long time and the nature of that annoyance is I tend to question things and I'm not too worried if the answers upset people i'm afraid um and that combination of kind of genetics and environment i think has has helped move me on it's amazing what would be one uh, instance where you would uh, say that you really annoyed someone a lot but you were happy with the end result i love that i I think that probably it's hard to know but i guess one of the biggest things is challenging educational conventions so when we talk about learning a lot of people are actually conflating learning and education and if you scratch the surface of what they're doing they're just sort of mirroring whatever horrible stuff happened to them at school which is broadly content dumping that's how sort of pretty much how education works bit of a generalization but yeah. broadly true that effectively it involves taking some content and you put it up on a screen in a classroom or you put it in an e-learning module and people are exposed to it somehow and this is supposed to change their behavior and it doesn't work and it's just a sort of odd ritual we developed because we didn't want to get small children trapped you know in machinery and of course the, the, the way that human beings work is they get attached to whatever they've done. It's, it's about it's called dissonance through um, cognitive dissonance through effort. So the more you do something, the more liable you are to defend it because you've invested so much effort into it. Mm-hmm. So saying to people, as I, I frequently do, that education is just kind of monstrous waste of time and it's effectively a way of kind of torturing and damaging people systematically and we should stop doing it and we start thinking about learning instead tends to annoy people <laughs> who've either had to suffer education and therefore post-rationalize it or who've spent a lifetime kind of working in education. But having said that, there are people who work in education who have this sort of intuitive feeling that they're fighting the system, that they do really care about people yeah. and that the system isn't helping them to help people. And it's actually that motivation that, that that I want to connect with, people who really want to make a difference and sense that there's something wrong. That's beautiful. That is, I think, one of the core problems that I think the entire world is facing, that we are not teaching kids the right way. Like, you know, we are not teaching them how to think. We are just teaching them what they should know. So that's a, that's a very core cool problem, I think, which you have identified and uh, I think are working towards as well. So that's amazing. I hope you found a few children who really, you know, a few students specifically who really get inspired by this and, uh, you know, have, have probably reached out to you as well. Same. Yes, but you used an interesting word there because when you ask people, you know, what they remember from school and what changed their life. Sometimes it will be teachers, but this is the interesting thing. It won't be the content, typically. It will be teachers who cared about them, 
who, yeah. as you say, inspired them. And this is the essence of the theory that I introduced. So I introduced the first general theory of learning, which is kind of an odd thing to say. You know, you don't really expect some L&D bloke on a podcast to say they introduced the first general theory of learning. But I did. I wrote it in a book called How People Learn. And the essence of that is that we're organisms. We're not computers. Our minds don't work like computers. We don't store information in the way that books or computers do. We only remember the things that matter to us. So you and I um, have different interests. And if we have the same experience, uh, and this is true um, uh, experimentally, we will remember different things from that experience, depending on what impacted us, what mattered to us, uh, even governs our attention. And so if you actually want to design a learning experience, the theory says you have to start by understanding what an individual cares about. And of course, that's the fundamental flaw in education. You know, none of us went to school and were asked on day one, tell me, what are the top 20 things that really matter to you? Oh, in that case, if you're interested in robots and insects, we'll design a curriculum around those things. And so this fundamental flaw, this idea that we sort of dump information on people and we call it learning um, has persisted for decades now it has to come to an end it's just such a waste of time that is true and also you know those early minds they can learn so much and just not teaching them the right way we are wasting so much time so hang on like it's so true <laughs> so yeah so what, what are a few suggestions from you Nick that you think you know would create a learning learner friendly environment and uh, any concept that has specifically worked for you. Yeah, absolutely. So the simplest way to think about learning is that our learning is driven by challenges. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those challenges can come in the form of a story, but more regularly, they come from our work. You know, anyone who's familiar with 702010 and the work for Center for Creative Leadership knows this. So our learning is really driven by the challenges that, that we experience. And so if we want people to support their learning, there's really only two things we can do. We can challenge them or we can look at the challenges that they already have in their jobs and create the resources that support them. This is why we use Google and YouTube in the way that we do. We hit a problem, the washing machine is broken, the Wi-Fi is down, and that challenge drives us to use Google to look up the answer. So really, the, the simplest thing that we can do is understand the challenges that people have or create new challenges and either create resources that help them or experiences which kind of challenge them. And from that simple idea, I developed um, a human-centered design process, which is all about talking to people, understanding what they care about, what, what challenges they have, called the 5DI, because that sounds a bit abstract. And mm-hmm. if you want to change an entire industry, you have to provide the tools and techniques that people use. Uh, and so the 5DI toolkit is free for everybody to use. It's on, on the website, not promoting myself particularly, but just wanting to change the industry and make more of a difference. So that's the practical advice, which is focus on either creating useful stuff that helps people or challenging experiences that change people. And all of the tools you need to do that systematically in a data-driven way are free. Especially with the, with the advancement of technology, we have definitely seen that there's a lot of knowledge out there which we can access at our, on our fingertips. So, uh, Nick, you mentioned this 5TI model. Do you want to elaborate a little bit uh, on that? And also, uh, as you mentioned, that you know, don't want to promote yourself, but I truly believe that you should promote yourself. If there is an idea which can change the world, and especially with the work that you are doing, I think it's very, very impressive. So, please, go ahead and promote yourself here a little bit more. Well, 
I like to order takeout and go to the movies, but the reality is I'm the servant of an idea. So yes, I, I mean, I like the way you framed it. It's really the idea that, that I want to, to kind of spread, which is why these ideas are, as you say, kind of open source and kind of free because um, I, I feel that progress is good. But yes, I can talk a little bit about 5DI. 5DI is a, a series of words you may recognize, define, discover, design, develop, deploy, iterate. But let me bring that to life a little bit. So in the first stage of a, of a program design, looking about um, changing performance or experience in an organization, what we do is we take the time to define, to talk to senior stakeholders and to really understand what are the things we'd like to change in terms of kind of think, feel, do for a target population? Yeah, that's a really interesting thing because I've done it many times. And when you look, for example, at an induction program, the business will sometimes say, well, we want people to feel like they belong. We want people to feel like they made the right choice. We want people to feel a sense of being connected to our purpose. We want people to feel confident. And then you say, so what, what are you doing? You're, you're putting them in a classroom and showing them lots of PowerPoint slides for half a day. Is that how you would achieve those things? And they say, well, Mm, no. And, and that's my point. People are just doing this weird educational ritual that, that doesn't achieve what they, they would like to achieve. So the first stage is, let's be really clear on what outcomes we're trying to deliver. The second stage, discover, is let's talk to those people. Let's talk to new starts, for example. Let's talk to the consumers of the product. You can think of that as design thinking, if you like, but the idea is very simple. If what they care about is going to govern what they learn, then you need to know what they care about. New starters, for example care about fitting in. They care about doing the right things in the first weeks after joining. So you can give them a checklist. You can give them a list of top 10 mistakes to avoid. You can introduce them to peers. You can talk to them about what to dress, how to dress, what to wear. And they love all of that stuff because that's what they pull. So the first two stages are, are connecting the strategy and the outcomes to the individuals, the consumers, and what they care about to define and discover. And then in designing, we look at resources and experiences, only those two things. We use an approach called the CTRE matrix, which is the concerns, tasks, resources, experience matrix. Very simple. The idea is you, you list all of the things that people are struggling to do, all of the things they care about, like fitting in, and then you come up with resources like short videos or experiences like meeting your peers that address those line by line. And that's how you build a program. So it's quite straightforward. It works. It's radically different to education, but it's progress. Beautiful. That's, I think, a very uh, systematic way of thinking about this. But like, we never think about a systematic way to learn. I don't think we're ever taught that either. So I think that's uh, amazing. Have you tried to implement this model anywhere? Any any success stories from this? Yeah, sure. For um, probably now about 20 years, the the model originally evolved out of the BBC where we were looking, uh, for example, at techniques that we use, for example, by service design. You know, if you're doing service design, you take the time to actually understand customer touch points. You design an experience end-to-end. -end. Why are we not doing this in learning? The answer is because we're doing education, which is just about putting content in a course. So we started moving away from that and we sort of systematized it together, working with a team over many years, implemented it literally hundreds, if not thousands of times. It's being used by lots of big organizations, uh, Nova Nordisk, uh, BT, Nestle, or, or GSK. And um, the most recent example, which I'm happy to share because we won an award for it, is we revised the Deloitte induction program. Um, and when I joined, people were spending two weeks in a hotel, in a classroom, where people were playing PowerPoints for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, and we spent some time talking to the business about what would you like the program 
to achieve. And it's remarkable because nobody had really ever thought about that before. It was just like, oh, we just thought we'd put all the content in a, in a course. You say, well, what, what, what outputs, what outcomes, what measurable results would you like to achieve? Ooh, maybe we'd like fewer of those individuals to leave. Maybe we would like to see our client feedback scores improve. Maybe we'd like to see them spend less time on the bench before they get on a client project. So those sorts of things. And then you talk to the audience, the new starts, and you find out, you know, what, um, as we did, what do you really care about? You know, and they, they cared about building the network, about progressing, about showing up in the right ways, about doing a good job. And then we designed a program, which is a combination of experiences and digital resources, things that they could access on their mobile device and simulations of real situations. And we won an award. We won the gold award at Learning Technologies in 2021 for best onboarding program. Um, and the feedback for it was fantastically positive, even though we had to deliver most of it digitally in the end. Okay. The net promoter score was was a lot higher than it was of the previous program but we also saw good business results from it as well we didn't see people leaving um we got fantastic social media coverage people had a great experience felt really valued and were more confident in in being able to kind of take their career forwards so we delivered on the business outcomes that's amazing i mean and uh, seeing that kind of uh, result right away right normally we, we we take a learning program we hope that you know it works but here we are seeing the feedback right away which is amazing which is i think very impressive yeah so um just just taking a step back we know that the you know future of the world uh, and lnd is all digital as you just mentioned as well that you know you had to deliver all of it digitally so why are social networks and human centered design right so important for the future like how, what would you want to um, elaborate on that i think that human centered design is essential uh, across lots of fields so the reason design thinking is important is if as a business you want to sell your your product it's not a bad idea to talk to your customers if as a learning team you want your learning services or products to be effective why wouldn't you take time to actually start understand the needs of of your learners that's a great way to improve the effectiveness and efficiency of what you're doing but also to improve your learning culture you know <laughs> when most people join a business their initial impression of learning is it's like rain you know it's a negative impression they're just being forced to comply you know and complete this and click next here yeah. imagine if you could turn that around and actually help people to do their jobs more seamlessly yeah. that would make that would influence lots of things it would reduce the number of people leaving it would improve employee satisfaction it would improve productivity so and it would improve experience so lots of reasons why you would want to do human-centered design when you're working with people people to improve their performance and to improve their experience primarily so um, that's important you also mentioned social media and why um, social media is important yeah. i guess i've worked with some organizations who sort of increasingly realizing that they cannot control their reputation and their external brand independently or in a kind of top-down way that yeah. they are dependent on their employees to be ambassadors yeah. of their organization um, and they're exposed to increasingly levels of transparency. So, you know, social media is, is important for lots of reasons, but from an organizational perspective, one of those big reasons is that you, your employees are your ambassadors um, for your brand. Yeah, I think that is a very underutilized area, actually. So mm. I think, yeah, uh, companies are thinking right about it, and 
I personally know that I love working at Whatfix and at times I'm definitely out there posting it obviously on my postal page mm-hmm. about you know the good time I've had here or you know the good memories that I've been able to make at work at in general and it's not it's very organic right it's not uh, something that uh, someone is asking me to do it's just something that I feel and I feel like sharing it with my uh, people so yeah I mean obviously yes. there are factors of the company as well that's really interesting and of course there are organizations like Glassdoor that many people know about who um who, who kind of gather up some of that data in a more systematic way and and that that will influence your ability to recruit your ability to actually and the cost of hiring talent so these things they're important um they have a real impact definitely okay now obviously since you have been working in this uh, vertical for such a ta- long time so why do you think that you know uh, it is difficult for a leader to modify his or her leadership style uh, or and what effect does it have on the organizational change that's really interesting leaders i think have a, a huge influence on the culture of an organization <laughs> and if you've had to work for a, a, a bad leader it makes every day miserable mm-hmm. so you know it's really important that we we kind of support leaders into being good leaders now what makes it difficult two things mm-hmm. the first thing is we tend to promote people who are good at their jobs and quite often that means that they're bad at leadership you sort of i've worked with some engineering organizations where yeah. if somebody is is super as an engineer we say oh you, you know very good at your job so we're going to promote you to a leader and then the, their natural inclination is to tell everybody else how to do things like them and that's sort of quite infantilizing people and and often it means that they lack people skills so there's a sort of systematic way in which we sort of promote the wrong people into leadership roles and then we have to remediate that problem the other reason i think is it's difficult you asked how is it why is it difficult to change which is that people generally sort of pick up a lot of their leadership style from their parents and so their idea of what it means to be in authority um and how you should behave is quite deeply ingrained and embedded so we have to take the time to actually step them through experiences which develop them in different ways uh, and show them a, a different way of working with people that isn't merely telling people what to do and telling people off when they don't do it right you know it's just uh, while i've been talking to you i've realized how much you're able to connect everything back to that human uh, element of you know which we normally kind of ignore that if, if i'm talking about leadership styles we'll probably talk about the organization but you went back to your parental you know genes that you know that that drives leadership style and which i don't think i've ever heard before definitely a very i mean i'm loving talking to you so Thank one you. more question here for me for uh, you that uh, as you mentioned right that you know a lot of pe- uh, people are just uh, you know you mentioned that engineers who are good at their job they definitely lack the people skills for organizations what is your um, recommendation that you know how to firstly choose the leaders that will lead the organization and secondly if you are promoting people right obviously because people need to grow in their careers as well what are the skill sets that you should equip them with before promoting them you know for managing people as well really good question i've worked on lots of leadership programs and i love designing leadership programs so in in practice the sorts of skills that we work on are probably quite familiar to people listening things like coaching skills the importance of development i'll tell a bit of a story um because i think stories are always fun i was interviewing leaders in a big oil and gas company mm-hmm. um uh in order to build a better leadership program this is what we do we talk to them about what they struggle with and actually a number of them said pretty much the same thing which is you know i think i could do the job 
if it wasn't for all the people stuff. Yeah. I said, well, <laughs> wait, hang on, hang on a second. What, what do you mean the, the people stuff? <laughs> they said, you know, all that HR nonsense, you know, uh, performance reviews, uh, development planning, success planning, talent. It's like, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. That is the job. The yeah. people stuff typically in, in a, a, a well-formed leadership role is about 60%. And so your question is, well, let's break that down. A big part of it is just having good quality, supportive conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really important. So kind of co- coaching skills, feedback skills, uh, at the kind of the hard end, having difficult conversations better. Well, we, we say difficult conversations, but they shouldn't be difficult conversations. You, you need to build relationships to the point where you can say quite difficult things quite easily. That's really important. And the other thing is about operating inclusively. One of the biggest flaws of leaders is that they project. We all do. In our conversations, we tend to dislike people who are different from us. So we project ourselves, you know, into those conversations. And at at leadership level, that's particularly damaging because it means that they will recruit people who are like them and they will underserve or depress people who are different. And uh, and that's a fundamental problem for, for, for lots of reasons. It damages engagement, performance, and diversity, and so on. So having people more accepting and open to difference and more inclusive in their leadership style, who are supportive, um, who, who have good people skills, who know how to have a good conversation, and can, importantly, understand what people care about. And there's a very simple way of doing that. You know, we've got a series of exercises that you can run where leaders really get to know their people and what they care about because that's what you need to do if you're going to connect your people to the organizational strategy. You can't just say, look, everybody, this is our purpose. These are our values. This is our strategy. This is where we're going. You have to say, look, you know, I, I think that there's a way that your career, your future, your passion for, say, creativity mm-hmm. can really help us to deliver what we're trying to achieve our vision as an organization so that's an important part of the role as well this is something which a lot of organizations are lacking right now and obviously you know it's uh, because we are always in the hustle mode and we are always trying to just get somewhere right so we do need to like especially as organizations we do need to think back and reflect that are we creating the value system for the organization as well the organizational culture that we talked about so very beautifully put. Okay, I we are almost, you know, uh, I mean, I've had such great conversations with you right now, but I thought it would be a little bit fun to have a small rapid fire round. What do you think yeah. about that? I love okay. it. It's great fun. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what are your favorite books that you would recommend? I'm probably, oh, I love Nietzsche. I uh, love reading philosophy. Um, so uh, anything by Nietzsche, probably I would recommend. So, yeah. Okay. Amazing. I mean, I am honestly very impressed with your thought process. So I might d- definitely go back to those books. Okay, what's the most interesting thing that you own? Most interesting thing that I know. Com- complete set of um, uh, real armor, as worn by the Witcher, Geralt of Rivia, from the Witcher Netflix series you may recognize. So oh. uh, at one, one point, I'm going to go along to Comic-Con um, in my armor at some point, I guess. Wow. Like, share, share a little bit more. Like, why do you want to do? Why? Um, I guess I used to, I, I was an avid computer gamer. Yeah, it's a quick fire round, so I don't want to tell long, boring stories, but I used to play, it's a fantastic game. If you haven't played them, The Witcher series, a fantastic series of games. But it also, I think, appealed to me. I could identify with this character mm-hmm. who sort of is somewhat solitary, let's be honest, uh, and sort of roams around slaying, you know, monsters and, and being a little grumpy along the way. But, you know, he, <laughs> 
he's he's on some sort of journey of his own and he has a historical role to play in the world despite the fact that on the one hand he's kind of slaying monsters for money he's also of historical importance in terms of the the overall um you know narrative of that era so i, I think that, that that probably not unlike um or i like to imagine not unlike me but also there's another reason which is he's he's quite an old superhero if you like and and there are very few if you look at kind of fiction marvel and so on all of the superheroes are kind of generally sort of young and beautiful and and i'm sort of getting on a bit so i could identify with this sort of slightly graying um slightly uh grumpy uh uh hero (laughs) (laughs) that's so beautiful and interesting i love superheroes but you so right that you know i don't think they are representing the entire like we don't be just connected to the teens and kids right but i think you know us adults also need our own superheroes yeah so and even, even like as you mentioned a little bit more mature great uh, superheroes <laughs> because we need them our entire life they give us hope yeah. so we do need them <laughs> yeah i think uh, we should like at least i'll write a note to disney that hey we need a little bit more superheroes these ones aren't doing justice to us do you have a favorite superhero I do. I love Wonder Woman. So, she's oh, definitely great. my favorite superhero. I love what she stands by. I love that how she's uh, just so independent and fierce and then she has this human touch about everything. Like everything she touches is with so much empathy and so much hmm. uh love that I I just I mean, I have so much to learn from from her. There we are. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, what is one thing that has uh, driven your life? Understanding more than anything else, uh, the desire to understand the universe, people, learning, cognition, it's I suppose to the point of obsession. So understanding is what drives me in every conversation in fact. So yeah. That's beautiful. Have you seen this movie called uh, Sunrise I think or, or the series that is there? Uh, so it's, it's a set of three movies. it's called sunrise sunset and i think one more and you know there is this very beautiful line in that movie which is one of my favorite lines that if there is any beauty in this world it's about it's it's, it's about understanding someone Great. so i've just jotted them down i'm going to go and look for it um yes. yeah I, i haven't but thank you very much for the recommendation yes i know we were supposed to have a rapid fire but it's just that there's so much mm-hmm. more to know that uh, i'm just getting a little bit into details but it's a romantic uh, series um the first few movies are much nicer but it's a beautiful beautiful series you should definitely i think you will really enjoy them thank you so much okay last what is your advice for young hr and lnd professionals challenge um convention so sadly we're we're an industry that i think has fallen into lots of conventions that don't necessarily make a difference and many of us are passionate about making a difference and if we're not it becomes quite corrosive for us in our careers so um if you really want to make a difference one of the best ways to do that is to challenge some of the conventions and think is it perhaps there's a, a better way of doing this and in in order to determine that better way connect with the audience really think about the the customer experience because ultimately that's what you're delivering a difference to you know it's horrible thing to come and go into big organizations as an hr professional create your strategy papers sit on governance meetings but not make any difference to people so let's avoid doing that let's kind of challenge some of those conventions and make a difference only if every leader in the world was listening to you right now and i hope through a podcast they actually do <laughs> 
but thank you so much nick for all your wisdom and uh, sharing with us your journey it was uh, one of my i think one of my uh, highlights of the week i would say that uh, uh, thank you so much for doing this for us you are very kind but i've enjoyed it thank you very much thank you so much <laughs>